Welcome to Coach's Corner with your host Ryan Watson and Jonathan Bourne, brought to you by Broadway Sports Media, partnered with 440 Sports. Find all of our great content at broadwaysportsmedia.com. Uh, getting right into it tonight, we are joined by the hardest working man in the draft world and in Canada, Justin Mello, at Justin M underscore NFL. Justin, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing well. Uh, certainly can't top that intro. <laughs> yeah, but I really mean it. You do, you put in, I don't think that people understand uh, that how much work you actually put in. And just to kind of go into it real quick, how many hours would you think that you watch a film or have you watched already for the 2021 draft? I, I, I couldn't even put a number on it, truthfully. I've watched about 240 players, put it that way. Okay. Out of 240 players, I've watched, uh, uh, you know, multiple games on all of them. So whether that's try to watch as much all 22 as I can, you know, lucky to get my hands on some of that stuff. But, you know, a couple, cu- couple cut-ups in there. I'm not opposed to the cut-ups. I know there are some people who think that's absolutely criminal. I think it depends on the position. I think cut-ups can be useful for certain positions, a little tougher with the DBs and stuff because you need that good, you know, co- coaching camera angle. But sure. other than that, I've, uh, I've watched 240 players and I've watched multiple games on all of them. Right. So like I said, hardworking guy. So your, your opinion it carries a lot of weight, not only because of you formed these opinions, but you put in the legwork and, and, and looked into actually, you know, doing that work yourself as opposed to, I know a lot of people will read things and, and glean their, uh, their opinions off of other people. Whereas I think people should be gleaning their opinions off of what you've put in considering the work you've done. So just wanted to point that out before we got started in any of this, this topic stuff here. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm excited, man. We're a couple of weeks away and I, I can see all my hard work sort of starting to, to come together and uh, got, got a whole bunch more interviews to release over these next couple of weeks as well. So that's going to be a crazy couple of weeks for me. That's awesome. All right. Well, let's, let's get into that in just a little bit, but first there was some coaching news that came out uh, today. We're recording the show. We'll release it uh, tomorrow, but there was some uh, coaching news that came out for the Titans. Since this is the coach's corner, I uh, want to get into it. First of all, let me go to my co-host first and get his opinion. The, the big, uh, the big announcement, just because I say big, because it is a big name and it was something that you weren't necessarily expecting this late in the search. Uh, Jim Schwartz is going to be joining the Titans staff, but not as a defensive coordinator or anything as as maybe he's been in the past, but coming on as a special assistant, going to have a special role. What's, what are your thoughts, uh, Jonathan, uh, on on that news? Well, I mean, I think, I think it's interesting with it being Schwartz because I, we know that Titans fans in this media market really seems to love uh, kind of callbacks. Jeff Fisher still beloved here. Schwartz is a is an old time Titan, bit, and so he's kind of beloved here, uh, even if some of the shine may have worn off since he left. But I think he's a, I think he's a pretty good coach. I think uh, is he you know Bill Belichick? No, obviously there's a reason he's he's unemployed. <laughs> right. I, some of which is his doing, but I think, you know, when you look at the dynamic of what you're bringing into that defensive room, this entire off season has been around, what are they going to do to fix that? Uh, the defensive unit as a whole and to promote Shane Bowen there, we'll say that there were some uh, questions about right. that move uh, from media and fans alike. And so to bring in some guy who is a proven DC um, in Schwartz to come in here and a guy who runs a pretty different scheme, uh, they, they're both a kind of um, they, everything's built on pressure, but how they go about doing it is very different. Now those lines between what is a standard three, four, what is, you know, and what's a four, three, are really blurred as you've gotten into the, these personnel packages that are bringing three wide out there and you're going to your nickel package most of the time. So there's going to be some of that gap where you can bridge them together. But the the dynamic I'm really interested to see is you got a young 
coach in Shane Bowen coming off a, I, I, you know, we'll call it a slightly unsuccessful, <laughs> you know, initial it's one way. It's a nice it, way to put it. Yeah. Into the uh, defensive coordinator position. So you're going to roll it back with a guy like Schwartz there. I'm in. Now these guys are, they're all type a personalities. I'm sorry to get to the, to this level. You have that in you to an extent. And so is there going to be a dynamic of a guy looking over his shoulder? We've seen that here before uh, when Dick LeBeau was an, was an assistant and that was not uh, thought very highly of and and guys being kind of worked their way out. Um, um, so I, I don't know what exactly they have in mind for him, but that's an interesting kind of psychological dynamic for Shane Bowen and Mike Rabel to deal with having a proven guy like that. Yeah. And, and Justin, I know that you are a, um, through a lot of our banter in the playoffs back and forth, you're, you're a pretty big NBA fan there with the Toronto Raptors and everything. And the NBA seems to have made this shift to where there's no, there's, they're going farther and farther away from traditional positions in the NBA. There's, there's no true centers anymore. They're one of these athletic guys that can cover multiple positions. It seems like there's been that shift. The Celtics have done that. The Raptors did that over the last couple of years as well. And I bring all that up because you see the NFL kind of going to the same thing with defense. And does it really matter sometimes with these coaches, as Jonathan was pointing out, with so many different formations and things they need to defend in today's off NFL offense? Does it really matter what a guy grew up in as long as he's a good defensive mind? Yeah, I agree with that. I think for the most part, uh, and you said it, you know, there there aren't there's no such thing anymore as a traditional four three or a traditional three four or Schwartz can't come in and and coach this defense anymore because he's a four three guy and the Titans are a three four, you know, base with with more of a hybrid front. So no, I would agree. I think as long as you're a good coach and you're willing to adapt, and you have to, right? Or else the game's gonna pass you by, especially today with how things are going. You look at guys guys like Kyle Pitts in this draft class, right? Who's a tight end, who's basically a glorified receiver, you know, and these are the kind of guys that defensive coordinators have to deal with right and he's an athletic mismatch and these guys get moved over all all around the formation and all over the field and you have to deal with that so you can't be you you can't pigeonhole yourself into a well he's a three four guy he's a four three guy it just doesn't exist anymore Right. And another thing, just to touch, uh, I agree with that both, which I both said there, so I don't want to spend any more time there. But Jonathan also touched on something else there, the type A personality. And just to get your opinion on that, Justin, is there, is there going to be some some head button here? How do you think the egos are going to fit uh, when you get those those personalities in the room together when they're talking through schemes and, and things like that? Is there, is there going to be some of that looking of the shoulder that Jonathan mentioned? I would worry that there's going to be, you know, I, I know Shane Bowen isn't a, is, isn't a popular guy and, and I, you know, in Tennessee and I understand why fans feel that way, but a part of me wonders if, you know, you, you hired him now, you know, you, you got to kind of stick by it and, and let the guy do his job. Right. If, if you're going to bring someone in to to have him looking over his shoulder all the time and have him worried and have him butting heads uh, with a senior assistant that, you know, to my knowledge, he's never worked with before. And I believe that's correct. I, I don't think he's ever worked with Schwartz before. Then why why hire him? You know, and why, why give him the title? We've seen Vrabel catch a ton of flack for it. We saw the press conference the other day where he was asked by a million different reporters mm-hmm. uh, to clarify what will be different about Shane Bowen's role this year. And he you know, immediately, you know, as he's known to do, just got annoyed 
and said, hey, Shane Bowen's the defensive coordinator, Todd Downing's the offensive coordinator, and, right. and yada, yada. He really didn't, didn't give an answer on it at all. So, and, and on Schwartz, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Paul Kowarski reported, and Jen, John Glennon is also reporting, that nothing is set in stone yet. That for now, it sounds like he's a soundboard. They haven't officially named him a senior defensive assistant, which I think the original report said he was going to be. Now, that could change tomorrow, you know, and, right. and maybe maybe that that is going to be his title. But as of now, that's not the case. So I am interested to see how that dynamic works out. And again, I know Bowen's not a popular guy, but I worry about it uh, possibly handcuffing him even more than, you know, than, than maybe he already is. Yeah, and one other element here, and you know, I've been, we've had some people in the fringe out there calling for you know Vrabel's job over different things, which I think is a bit asinine here. But I've kind of been championing that that he is not on the hot seat, but that he's not as far away from the hot seat as some people may like to think. That depending on how this season goes, that you, you're talking about a second season that could be a step back. And so if it goes that direction and somebody like Jim Schwartz is on the staff, that's a pro- a relatively proven head guy that could step into a situation like that. So you got to wonder what the dynamic is going on behind the scenes. It, like you said, this is not a guy that worked with Vrabel. Is this something where, uh, you know, John Robinson is kind of hedging his bets a little bit by putting a proven guy there that if something, if the bottom were to fall out this season, which I don't think, is an impossibility here based on how some things are structured. If Derrick Henry gets hurt, I'm not, I mean, then you trust in the defense to carry it. You trust in, you know, it, it can Tannehill do it by himself. I think these are all valid questions given yeah. some of these offseason moves. And if the bottom falls out, I, I don't think it's crazy to start looking at Mike Vrabel as a hot seat candidate and, and have it. Who, who are you going to look at to outside of, as of right now, you, you promoting Jim Hazlitt to that role? Yeah, at least an interim role if that were to come up for sure, if it happened in season or if there's something like that. I, I definitely agree there. And crazier things have happened, so I'm not going to say it wouldn't happen. It just it's it's also in the same uh, sh- you know separate sh- uh, foot shoe there kind of a deal. It's also kind of crazy to think about Vrabel being on the hot seat after the couple seasons he's had in a row here with the Titans. But obviously there is a lot to be left desired when you're when you're so good for so long on one side of the ball and then a lot of lacking and then not a whole lot of movement. And then especially as we pointed out in the last podcast that the coaches without any major coaching, and this still isn't a a major coaching move uh, with the coaches saying, well, it was definitely the players based on how they move things around. So, Uh, and let let me be very clear here as I always have to caveat this. I am in no way, shape or form calling for Vrabel to lose his job or (laughs) saying he's in danger of doing so right now. I'm reading tea leaves and how things could play out based on this season. And if you're looking at a team that ends up in that, you know, uh, below 500 mark, I don't think it's an asinine question at that point. Yeah. So definitely more to come there, but we did speak about the moves they've made. Let me, let me, dive into this real quick. Justin, before we get into the draft stuff, what has been your favorite free agency move for the Titans so far? And what do you, what do you think has the big been the biggest miss, either player or position not addressed? My favorite move. <laughs> that's, that's that's tough because I, you know, I haven't I haven't loved a whole lot of what they've done. I I, I think getting Josh Reynolds on the contract that they got him on um was a good move. I, I don't think planning for Josh Reynolds, you know, to 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 
you know, potentially be your Corey Davis replacement or be your wide receiver too. I don't think that in itself is a great move, but I do think getting Josh Reynolds on a one year, I think it was $1.75 million. I, I can't believe how cheap it was in relation to some of the other receivers. You know, we saw what, you know, Nelson Aguilar got Kendrick Bourne. These guys were getting three times, you know, the salary that Josh Reynolds is getting here in Tennessee. I think that's a guy that's going to really, really outproduce that contract. The guy that can probably give you 600 receiving yards uh, and maybe a bit more, maybe up to about 750. So I think when you look at, you know, dollar value versus production, I think that was a really good, smart addition. I got you. Okay. And of course there's a lot, I know that you lamented a few other moves in, in the private chat, so we won't get into all of that. I know that you were very happy with a lot of stuff. You and I went back and forth about lamb a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I don't think he's a, a great candidate for the right tackle. Obviously he's got a limited amount of starting. I do think what I saw was fine there, but definitely there's some more moves that need to be made. And the only thing that looks like it's left is to make those moves in the draft. So let's move over to that real quick. And the Titans do sit there as it stands right now. Obviously, trade-ups, trade-backs can happen. I know that there's a contingency out there that wants the Titans to trade back. I'm not opposed to it either because, honestly, there's a whole lot of what if, especially if a bunch of guys go off the board that you really like there at that 22nd pick. But let's talk about fit-wise with what the Titans like to do from the coaching perspective, from what they like to put on the field. What are some guys that you like at that 22nd pick uh, that could fit with the Titans? Yeah, that's a tough one. I think, uh, again, it really depends on which position they're going to look at. If you're looking at corner, for example, um, I think a guy like Eric Stokes or Greg Newsom makes a lot of sense. And those are guys that I think can realistically be there at, at 22nd overall. You know, I'm not going to mention a guy like J.C. Horn, who I think, you know, there's there's little to no chance that he's there. But Stokes is a guy that's got good size for the position. You know, he checks in at over 200 pounds. Um, he's six feet tall. He checks in over as well. Uh, great outside corners, got great size, great length. Um, he's, he's a great, he's a man corner, right? That's the main thing for me when I say, you know, to answer your question, how does he fit? That's a guy that's going to live on the outside and play man coverage, which we know uh, the Titans want to do this coming season, right? All their moves have signaled that, bringing in a guy like Jack Rabbit, uh, on the outside, bringing in a guy like Kevin Johnson, even though I know is not was not a popular addition. He's a guy that's predominantly played man coverage in his career. So a guy like Eric Stokes makes a lot of sense. Ran a four two five at his pro day. It's crazy fast. I know uh, everyone's you know <laughs> well the pro day. Okay, everyone ran fast at the pro day. But this is a guy that's got a track background. Uh, he was a, a track and field state champion in high school. So it's not shocking that he ran a a crazy fast time. Even if that time is juiced up a little bit. What what, what is he a four three guy? I mean that's still fast. So yeah, I was gonna say. It's like a four three five at the worst if, if we're wanting to talk right. about pro and even that's probably yeah it's probably even lower than that right, right? it's probably like a four three two or something right. like that so so he, he's fast he's big he plays on the outside uh, a lot of people were talking about a, a lack of ball production with him but he came back to georgia in 2020 and he, and he had good ball production i think he had four interceptions in just nine games so he quieted those concerns a lot and, and i've talked about him a lot in recent weeks and, and i may look stupid a couple of weeks from now if he doesn't go in the first round and i'm not saying he's a lock um, for it to happen. But when, when I see a guy like that, okay, he, he's over six feet tall. He's 200 pounds. He's got good tape. He played at a big program. He played on the outside. He's fast. He's athletic. He's addressed the ball skills, concern, the ball skill concerns. And it sounds like a first round pick to me. Right. And, and I kind of learned my lesson a few years ago. Funny enough, I'll use a Titans example. When they took a Dory Jackson in the first round, I remember pre-draft, not a lot of people had a Dory in their top 32 on their big board. I know I did. I think I had him somewhere in the 40s or 50s. And the Titans took him at, I think it was, what, 18th overall. And there's a, a bit of a surprise. And then when I kind of started to self-evaluate my process and myself, and I said, well, why didn't I think Adoree Jackson was a first-round pick? 
why didn't I think he was going to go? You know, he's, a, he's a great athlete. He's got great production. He played at a big program. He had great tape. Well, this, this is just me. This is just people being silly, not realizing that Adoree Jackson was going to be a first round pick. What I've learned from that process and where I was wrong there, I think guys like Eric Stokes are a first round pick. So that's a guy that really sticks out to me. That would be a good fit. And, and 22 may sound a tad early to people, but uh, I think there's a good chance he's a first round pick. And, and if he goes at 32, 31, 30, 22 is not all that different. That's another lesson I've learned. Yeah, and I think that there's a big lesson to be learned there. And Jonathan, you're famous about saying this: is get your guy. You know, it, it, there's right. there's obviously value if you think you can get your guy at pick 53, then don't pick him at 22. Clearly, I mean that's a no brainer. But Jonathan, you 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 are particular a big fan of get your guy if he's if he's right there in that range. So it doesn't matter if you think that he can go 30, 32, somewhere in there. Then who cares if it's 22? You got your guy for your needs. You fit. Uh, but Jonathan, you actually had a interesting if so, if a certain name falls and I won't say a certain name but if any one of those those top four quarterbacks fall uh and just for whatever reason the top I don't I, well, I don't want to say top five because Mac Jones I, you know whatever but if any of those those say, say what you want Mac Jones is definitely I mean, based on everything and it could be just an agent playing games or whatnot but there's definitely some teams out there that like Mac Jones now uh would I be thrilled about it but to, to your no but to your point get your guy if they were to think that Mac Jones is a franchise guy, then they'd be dumb not to take him. And that really kind of stands for any of the quarterbacks. And now you look at Ryan Tannehill. Why am I bringing this up? You know, why do I think it would not be crazy for a quarterback in that scenario? Look, you're kind of in a position with Tannehill where you're, you're a team that is built around the running back position, shortest shelf life. Derrick Henry is an absolute freak of a physical specimen, but he still plays running back. And it's, it's just something you, you, if you're building for that longevity, you're you're shortening your window. They have to be in a position where they feel comfortable that Ryan Tannehill can carry this team without Derrick Henry. And if not, you are very much looking for your quarterback of the future. Now, whether or not that is this year or next year, I think it probably makes more sense next year. But if something crazy happens and one of those quarterbacks falls, you, I don't know that I could blame them to get your guy. If, if you think highly, you know, Justin Fields, you know, everybody convinces themselves he's an athlete and can't throw and he's sitting there at 22. What, what are you doing in that scenario? Justin, am I, am I completely out of line by saying that's not an asinine thing to do? I don't think you're completely out of line, um, but I'd still be surprised if it happened. I, I think if one of those quarterbacks fell there, I think you have to think about it. I think you think long and hard about it. I think it's a good question. I imagine they've played over those scenarios in their mind, but I, I think this team is locked into Ryan Tannehill for, for the next couple of years, at least. And with all the holes they have at, at other positions, I mean, again, you're not completely out of line. You got to think about it. If it's Justin Fields, I'd probably think long and hard about it, but I'm kind of biased because I think he is the second best quarterback in this right. draft. And I'm a huge fan of his. And I think you probably think long and hard about it. If it's Trey Lance, who I don't think there's a chance in hell it'll be, but, um, but, but you think about it, but ultimately I think they'd either trade out or I still think they'd pass. I do. Yeah, and I, I think it's, it's very unlikely any of them are there, to sure. be honest, just, just yes. reading the tea leaves. For and sure. that's the reason I say it's just like if a guy drops, then I think you have to have to think about it, and it falls in your lap. You're not expecting it. Now, uh, I will also say looking at that number 22 position as you're looking to replace Corey Davis, this is a, this is a team that has seemed to value in their top guys, the guys that are going to be on the field the most, these height, weight, speed guys. So, you know, you look at even a Jonu Smith, he's not the biggest guy, but for uh, uh, he could 
could move for his size. They like to play bully ball. And now they may change some things up with Arthur Smith going to Atlanta, but assuming everything sits there, if you're looking at 22 or even if you're looking at that mid-round, who are some of those wide receivers that kind of fit that mold of those height, weight, speed guys? I mean, I think a lot of us thought maybe a Rashad Bateman, but uh, obviously that guy is just uh, Benjamin buttoning his way back into it. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Did someone I saw that graphic today. Started as six three as recruit, then six two, and now he's six foot flat or six foot and three eighths of an inch. So yeah, right. he's shrinking. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, um, I I know you know he he checked in a, a a tick under what people expected him to, but I'm still a huge Rashad Bateman fan, and I'm a big fan of him and the scenario at 22nd overall. He just reminds me so much of Corey Davis, uh, you know. And I know again, I know the size is not the same, but the way he plays the game, I think he would excel in this Titans offense. He's a guy that's I think a lot like the success that Corey Davis had this past season. A guy who will can live and breathe off play action. You know, Ryan Tannehill can hit him on those shallow crossing routes, those quick slants and he can do damage after the catch we saw it at minnesota I, i've said it throughout this entire process i think what he does after the catch might be his best asset as a player but he's a good route runner i still consider him to be a height weight speed guy even if he is benjamin buttoning himself uh, throughout this process but but i'm a huge fan of his and and other than him i think i think it depends what they're looking for right do, do they feel like they have their starter on the outside already in a guy like josh reynolds and they're looking for a slot guy well, then if that's the case, then I like a guy like Amari Rogers, you know, and, and he comes in a little bit later. You probably figure you get him in maybe the third round, uh, probably 75 to 85 range. I think he goes. He's a guy that runs great routes. I, I, I've got to tell you guys, I know you both watch a lot of Clemson, but I'm a big fan of his. I think he's going to make a living in the slot at the next level, and he's going to be a great player. Another popular guy is Elijah Moore. Again, certainly he's not going to hit that height, weight, speed, uh, you know, fully because he's 5'9". But that's another guy that can come in and, and, and play in the slot, I think, from day one and do terrific work. And we know A.J. Brown's a big fan of his, and they're not going to put any stock into that, as they shouldn't. But he's a guy that I'm a, I'm a huge fan of. In, in the second round, if you want a height, weight, speed guy, one guy that really intrigues me is Amon Ross St. Brown. Okay. Uh, USC. I think he's a, he's a terrific player that we're not talking about enough. I don't know why that is. And I, I say this with the PAC 12 all the time. I don't know if it's because a lot of draft coverage is dominated by the East coast, which I think often is the case. A lot of people on the East coast, do we not watch enough PAC 12? I don't know what it is, but this guy that had seven touchdowns in six games in 2020, he's a really good football player. He's got, you know, he's got good enough. Again, not a huge guy, but he's got good enough size for the position. He's got good speed. Um, really, really exciting route runner. He's tough to bring down in the open field. Uh, big yards after catchability again, which you mentioned kind of with John New Smith and, and some of the other guys on that Titans roster and things can change under Todd Downing, but I think they're going to want guys like that, right? Guys that can create after the catch and that are tough to tackle. They still have Derrick Henry. They still have AJ Brown. I still think they want to play football in that manner. So that's a guy, if you're looking for a bigger guy in those second and third rounds i'm a huge fan of amon ross st brown yeah that's that's the thing is this receiving class seems to be so deep uh with talent you you mentioned a bunch of guys there and that doesn't i don't i don't even feel like that scratches the surface i'm not even talking about those big four guys that are up at the top of the draft your waddles your smiths you know uh jamar chase those guys the lsu guys i mean it's it's and yes, and to Jonathan's credit, he always says if you get the chance, always draft the Clemson receiver. <laughs> you know that, that he's been famous for that for years on, on saying that on our show. 
I keep saying famous, like we're, we're big time, but he's, he's been known to say that I should say. So, yeah, I, I think that you could, you can maybe not have to have to be forced with the Reynolds signing. I think that you're not forced to look receiver where you would have been forced to look receiver that 22nd pick. It's not, a, it's still a need and it's still a high need, but it's not as dire of a need. And maybe some of these guys that you've mentioned that can be available later in the draft can still fit those. Cause here's the thing you mentioned it yards after catch who wouldn't want a guy who could have, have the ability to have yards after catch. I mean, that is the name of the game make a catch make a play go go get some yards yeah i think uh i i like i like the amari rogers but i like the saint brown call out mainly because there's a lot of teams and a lot of fans that think they're getting amari rogers in the third round uh, enough that i I'm, I, I feel like he may be a guy that ends up sneaking in a little bit higher um now obviously nfl is not uh is not caring too much about how fans how fans view players and everything, but there, there's enough smoke around him that I think he could sneak in. And St. Brown, there's just not as much publicity out there. Maybe it's the agents not doing work. You know, your your ears pretty close to the pavement on that one. But uh, I do like him as a kind of under the radar guy. Um, I do have to mention. I meant to mention this earlier because you, you mentioned Eric Stokes at, at corner, and I mean. From the Titans' perspective, if you have the opportunity to go back to Georgia with a first-round pick, you got to do it. I mean, it's uh, it can just see how that's going to go over. And Isaiah Wilson, right, shouted out Eric Stokes earlier on Twitter, said he's the most underrated corner in the draft. So I'm sure that has John Robinson's ears ringing. <laughs> Not really a huge endorsement, but I mean, I think you you have to ignore that because, like Jonathan said earlier this week, I mean, Isaiah Wilson is an anomaly in and of itself. You don't think that even if the Titans were to draft a right tackle at at 22, I'm, I'm sure that the the Titans Twitter would be on fire and people would be calling for John Robinson's head. I don't think it's necessarily because it's a big need as well, based on everything they've done in free agency. Um, they've needed to get a tackle for a couple of years now. They thought they had with Isaiah Wilson. He's clearly gone. But not every right tackle who comes across as maturity issues or anything like that is going to be Isaiah Wilson. Isaiah Wilson's that special case that he was just so far out in left field. Who knows what's going on with that? Don't really want to touch on that, but just because he's 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 hyping up a guy he saw in practice when he actually did care about football and was there, uh, you know maybe he does know a little bit about Stokes. Well, look, look, I mean he may, but here's the thing, and I'm big on you know draft the player, not the helmet, unless we're talking Clemson receivers, then just draft the damn helmet. <laughs> that's all that matters. But whenever you're talking about this, you're right, it is a different player. It's but it's the same coaching staff, and this is a coaching staff that has had to sell Isaiah Wilson going through a, p- a pandemic scouting year. Uh, they sold Isaiah Wilson, so I'm I'm looking strong and hard at anything that comes out of Kirby Smart's mouth and that coaching staff out of Georgia. And I'm not saying that they, you know, sold a bill of goods, but they obviously were not they could be as flabbergasted as anybody, but you almost have to take what they say with a grain of salt, just because it was such a dumpster fire with Isaiah Wilson. You almost have to think that there was some sort of smoke for that fire and that dumpster tire fire that ended up being that first round pick. So I absolutely would question what's coming out of them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's definitely the the, the worry there because uh, what else are they covering up? What else are they willing to do for other players? And again, though, we just got done saying he's an anomaly. Maybe it's just that one kid. Maybe they tried their best because you're not going to also be that head coach who who, who throws a, a 
a NFL prospect under the bus because then what are other five stars? They're going to want to come because you you, you threw them under the bus. There's 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 a lot of this coach speak going on. Who knows what's what's real, what's not? But I definitely it's definitely in the back of your mind, or it has to be now coming out of the Georgia program because especially I mean especially the Titans. What did you sell us last time? I'm not so sure what you're selling me this time. So yeah, there's there's definitely some of that going on, but I, I do like what you're saying. And if they do go offensive tackle, uh, there can you? I know you've looked at a bunch of those. I have as well. Who's who's a guy that you really like at that 22nd pick? Uh, I know my guy. You 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 like a little later, and I don't blame you there. I'm I'm probably a little biased. I like Leatherwood a lot. I think he's versatile, mainly because I think he can play interior in a pinch if he has to. And imagining him and the way he doubles next to Nate Davis is got me all a flitter. You know, <laughs> who who do you like there at that 22nd pick if they happen to go tackle, which is also a need. Yeah, I know you like Leatherwood, and I like him too. Don't get me wrong. And that could be a case like like Jonathan said, where if he's your guy, then you go get him. Yeah, personally, I think he's he's more of an early to mid second than I think he's a first. But again, I mean, twenty second, it's it's not all that far off from from being an early second. So it wouldn't be the worst thing they can do. But I like Tevin Jenkins more than I like Leatherwood, the kid out of Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a, a terrific guy, a terrific athlete, tough, hard nosed. Uh, can, can we curse on this show or not? Go ahead. <laughs> so I was interviewing. I was interviewing him a couple of weeks ago, and I've already published it. So if anyone's read it, you'll, you'll have seen the quotes. But I asked him, you know, what changed for you? You, you got a lot better as time went on. Uh, and he gave me one of my favorite quotes I've heard this cycle. He said, "Well, uh, I spoke to my strength coach Rob Glass uh, before the, the before the 2019 season, and he told me that if I wanted to go to the NFL, uh, I had to start road grading motherfuckers. So that's what I did. <laughs> right? And he just kind of put it that plainly. And uh, and he and the whole interview was full of great quotes. He he told me that uh, I asked him, you know, what, what does it take to be a great offensive lineman? He's like, well, you you kind of got to go out there and be a dickhead, and and that's what I do. So uh, I'm a big fan of his, not only the personality, but I'm a big fan of the tape. Uh, he, he screams that he, to me that he's the anti Isaiah Wilson, if you will. So if you're concerned about being burned by another right tackle, I'd be shocked if a guy like Tevin Jenkins burned you. Uh, he, he's played he's played a lot of right tackle, which is great. So that'd be a seamless transition if they want to slot him in there. That's where he spent the most of his time at Oklahoma State. A little a little uh, versatile as well. Played a little bit at left guard. Started uh, sorry start started a few games at left tackle, and he started two games at left guard. Is what I'm trying to say there. Gotcha. Uh, so he's got a little of that versatility as well. He's tough. He's hard nose. He's, he moves people at the point of attack. He's got great feet. He's got a ton of pop in his hands. Uh, I'm a big fan of him. I think he's a first round pick. He, he had a great uh, pro day. He tested through the roof. I don't think there's a whole lot of question marks with him. Yeah, he's 6'6", 300 pounds around there. So he's a big dude. And my own, my only issue with him is he's a little over aggressive at times. But again, yeah. I think you can coach around that. I'd rather someone be too overly aggressive than not aggressive enough. Just shades of Dennis Kelly come out because in past sets, Dennis Kelly would get a little over aggressive and really lean forward and so in the hips and get down I know that's a little bit of issue with Tevin as well but you're right he is he is a he's a nasty bastard as I said when I was looking at it so he can he does have that punch to him as well so I'd rather have that over aggressiveness for sure I do like him too so you, you, a lot of people know about these uh, high-end guys, these first-round picks. Who, who's a guy in the mid-rounds? I'm taking Alex Leatherwood off of your plate since you said you viewed him as a mid-second-round pick. Who's another guy that's going to fit kind of what the Titans like to do? Um, that Obviously, pass pro is the name of the game unless you're the Titans. They want to road grade. So name a guy if you had to put your uh, finger on some guy that you think the Titans could like. 
Yeah, a guy that I'm a huge fan of that I think they could as well is Spencer Brown. I, I have him as a mid-round guy. He's from Northern Iowa. You want to talk about, again, uh, not to go back to Isaiah Wilson, but to say the anti-Isaiah Wilson, Spencer Brown grew up in a town of 1,300 people, Lenox, Iowa. He, he, he literally, as a child, was on a farm, you know, working with his parents, raising beans and corn. You know, this is not, this, I mean, it's an off, it's almost a cliche, right? Like, of course he grew up to be an offensive lineman because he grew up in a small town on a farm, but uh, he's a guy, again, that's got, he's a, he's a giant dude. Uh, you know, I think he's about six, seven or six, eight. He comes in over 314 pounds. The thing that strikes me about him is yeah, the Titans want to play want you know, want to, want a road grade, as you said, but they also like their offensive tackles athletic, right? They run that outside zone scheme. They love Taylor Lewan. Put up Spencer Brown. Go to head over to RAS relative athletic score and put up Spencer Brown next to Taylor Lewan and look how similar they are when it comes to the testing numbers. It's almost an identical match. Again, a guy, he played right tackle. So that's another great fit. You're not going to draft him and have to move him around and ask him to change positions. That's what he played at Northern Iowa. And he's tough. He's nasty. So yes, oh, he's yeah. a great athlete, but he's a tough kid. He really is. And and of course, you know, he didn't play in 2020, so there will be some concerns there. But one thing that really did it for me that kind of quieted that is he went to the senior bowl in January. And, and I talked to him about that. I said, what was that like? And he, you know, this, this guy that strikes me as a player that loves football, you know, I'm talking to him and he says, Oh man, I remember the bus ride over to the first practice. I wanted to throw up. I was so goddamn excited to put the pads back on and put the helmet back on and just start hitting people again. He loves football. He missed it. More importantly, he went to the senior bowl and he looked good. You know, again, so if you're worried about a guy that didn't play in 2020 or played in the FCS, well, there he goes down there to, you know, to Mobile and he's playing against guys, you know, off, you know, of course, D1 guys, big program guys, and he looked great. He looked terrific. So I think he's a guy, if you can get him, especially, you know, Titans have those uh, two third round picks. I think it's 85th or 86th overall and 100th overall. Yep. I love him in that range. I think he's a starting uh, a starting tackle. He's been working with Joe Staley, by the way, oh, that's all good. throughout this offseason. And, that, and that's been really cool. And Staley loves him. I've spoken to people i've spoken to people in staley circle that said he's one of the biggest tackles i've ever seen one guy gave me a quote i thought it was terrific and uh, and it was off the record so i i would like to think he wasn't just trying to beam him up he said look we're working with him out there outside he he blocks out the sun i think he's the biggest offensive lineman i've ever seen <laughs> it's a former tight end too i believe and i think in the chat the other day i called him the lebron the way he tested i called him the lebron james of tackles out there which is how, <laughs> how he's he meets that uh that requirement that you have jonathan there's just very few people on the planet that can can probably do what he can do size and athletic wise and he's he's a big dude six eight six nine whatever he is and he he's you're right he's nasty i like some of those cut-ups i've seen of him so it's definitely uh one to keep a, a name on uh but yeah. i know i know jonathan you've, you've got a some other uh, concerns out there as far as position. I, I didn't know um, edge. We haven't mentioned at all. And real quick, just wanted to get uh, uh, Jonathan either. Do you think edge is still a need based on what the Titans have been able to do with on the defensive side of the ball? Uh, and then Justin, what, who's an edge prospect that would be your favorite in any pick, just the biggest fit for the Titans. Yeah, I'll talk for a second here just to give Justin a second. Uh, he may already have his guy, probably does. He knows his stuff. But, uh, yeah, I mean, edge for me absolutely is still a problem because 
we saw what happened last year in that Harold Landry couldn't afford to come off the field because there was no depth. Now you put Bud Dupree out there and you know, that definitely helps. You have a great starting uh, two edges. I mean, uh, great, maybe a strong word. It's spectacular compared to last year, but uh, (laughs) you're talking about, you still got to build that depth and you know, Bud, you kind of hedge your bets a little bit with, by getting somebody that could come in and perform. Now I'm not saying they do it at 22, but it wouldn't, I don't think it's off the table at 22 if somebody's there they have bigger needs but if you if so, you are a believer in somebody like a Jalen Phillips that drops then maybe that is somebody that you take a look at because having a third guy doesn't hurt anything and frankly if you're not creative enough to use them as a coach then you're not a very good coach yeah when it comes to the edge position for me I, I do think they need a third guy and, and I really wish they would address it uh, in free agency still you know, I, I know they don't have a ton of cap room, but there are so many guys out there still that make sense as a rotational veteran edge rusher, a guy that can come in be your number three. Ryan Kerrigan is still out there. Justin Houston is still out there. Melvin Ingram is still out there. there you know, those three, any one of those guys sign me up to come in and, and play, a, you know, a rotational role, can take Harold Landry off the field. But Genevieve Clowney. Jadavion Clowney. So there you go. If they want to go down that road again, he's still there too. So, uh, and I'm not opposed. I know you laugh, but I'm not totally opposed if, if the price is right. And by the price is right, I mean free. But no, all, all, kidding, <laughs> all, all kidding aside, I, I do think they still need a guy there, but this is going to be such a fascinating draft to me for the Titans. And I don't mean to go off topic because there are so many things they can do. And it's probably not a good sign, but they need a receiver, right? They need a corner. They might need an offensive tackle. They might need a tight end. You can, if, if they want to look for the future. Now, I don't think you can look towards the future right now. Cause I think you, you need guys that can play right now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if they love a Zayvon Collins, both of your inside linebackers are on ex- – starting inside linebackers, that is, are on expiring deals, right? Jayon Brown and Rashawn Evans are both playing on one-year deals in 2021. Right. right? So that could be something you, lo- you look to uh, you, you look to achieve, right? But I, I don't think they can afford to do that because they have so many immediate needs. To answer Jonathan's question about my guys at edge, um, are you, if you're looking for a, a first-round guy or a second-round guy – and I don't think they should go edge at, at 22, but in the second round, a guy that I really like is Joe Tryon out of Washington. I'm a big fan of his game because I think he can come in and I think he could play immediately. He's a good run stopper. He's a three down player. I don't think he's someone who's going to have a, a steep learning curve uh, at the next level. Uh, he came in. What did he come in? At? I got it right here. He came in at six, five two fifty nine, So the height's great. You know, the weight's maybe not the greatest for the edge position, but everything else was was top-notch. He ran the 40 in 4.64 seconds. Uh, he had a 20-yard split of, of 2.69, a 10-yard split of 1.6, a uh, 35-inch vertical, which, again, is great for the position. Uh, so he's a guy that I really like. I think he comes in and can give you snaps right away. And I think, again, you want to talk about planning for the future, potentially. Harold Landry is effectively on a one-year deal, right? This is the last year of his contract in 2021. So that could be – we know John Robinson absolutely hates giving out second contracts right nobody gets apparently apparently, right (laughs) only derrick henry and and aj brown are about the list of it and taylor lewan right and byard but all kidding aside uh joe tryon i think could be a guy that can really you know the measurables are good the length is good the production is there he's athletic i'm a big fan of his if you're looking beyond him another guy that i really like and and has, has been a bit slept on throughout this process is peyton turner he's an edge rusher out of houston i don't know if you guys have gone to him yet but the measurables are off the charts an 84 inch wingspan 35 inch arms uh 10 inch hands 
Went there, went there to the senior bowl. Yeah. Big, big old guy was at the senior bowl. Looked terrific. Um, again, the length, it jumps off the page. He's physical. He's got a, a great power in his game. The, the, he's more of a traits guy right now, though. That's the thing. He hasn't been super productive at Houston or he wasn't super productive, I should say. But the thing is they were kind of playing him out of position there. And he'll tell you that himself. Uh, they, they weren't playing him where they should have. They moved him out more to the, uh, more to the edge here uh, in 2020. They were playing him inside before that. And, and I don't think he was a great fit inside. They moved him outside this past year, and he looked a lot more like a fit where he was able to take a, a bit more advantage, right, of the length and the wingspan and the natural physical tools that he has. So he's a guy, I, I wonder how early he's going to get drafted. I think it's probably earlier than a lot of people think. I know that he's met with the Titans. I know that he met with both John Robinson and Mike Vrabel uh, on a Zoom call. So, so that's certainly potentially noteworthy. Um, but, but he's a guy that I think, you know, and it's tough to gauge. He could go as early as 35 for all we know. You know what I mean? But he's a guy to me that I think makes more sense, probably in the third round. That's a lot of stuff. I'm I'm glad you had a couple guys there, but what you touched on it, that there's a lot of needs across the board about winning. Now there are some things about building for the future. I mean, it's, it's a, it's definitely a tough, I don't want to say tough, but it's definitely a situation that John Robinson and, and that staff has to pick from. But it's a good thing, I guess, that a couple of these positions that it is such a deep draft that that are at the needs for the Titans, that maybe they can take chances, they can take some chances on sleepers. And that's the that's what I want to wrap up on is is do you have a favorite sleeper? And I'm talking about like a late round guy that maybe no one has on their board. Have you gotten anybody that you just would love that maybe contributed a special teamer at some point in time, but could also maybe push to start and could be effective based on measurables and what you've seen? Do you have one guy that you've just fallen in love with that could be a late round steal? I think it'd be tough for me to give you one name. I'm just looking at my big board now, and I'm, I'm going to round off maybe a couple for you. Uh, I think uh, Keen Nwangwu, in, in I hope I'm pr- pronouncing his name correctly. I believe I am. He's a running back out of Iowa State. Uh, averaged 5.2 yards per carry. The thing is, he was he played behind David Montgomery. He played behind uh, Brees Hall, who was a, I think was a Heisman candidate or, or this past year. Ran for like 1,500 yards or something. So he's a guy that had limited touches. He averaged nearly 27 yards per kick return as well. So that's a guy that can come in play special teams I know they're not going to look for a running back early but again I think they could use a good kick returner and punt returner so he makes a lot of sense Avery Williams uh, a DB out of Boise State who's another excellent kick returner and punt returner rumors he might move to the offensive side of the ball a uh, smaller guy just a terrific athlete and has, has blocked a whole bunch of kicks and punts he's the kind of guy that a special teams coach is gonna gonna pound the table for uh, if you're looking at an O-lineman Brendan James out of Nebraska he's a guy that I like he's versatile he's got a ton of starts to his name think he can play both inside and outside I'm just going right down my big board here. David Moore, a guard out of Grambling, like 350 pounds. He was at the senior bowl. I don't know much of a sleeper he is anymore, but he's a guy that I really like. Austin Watkins Jr., receiver out of UAB. Uh, Again, a bit more of a height, weight, speed guy. He just dominated the competition while playing at UAB. He's the first cousin of Sammy Watkins, by the way. So there's uh, Hmm. some interesting uh, notes there. Um, uh, Tay Gowan, big corner out of UCF. I think, you know, you asked me earlier about guys that fit what they're looking for. Tay Gowan is a a big old outside corner that excels in man coverage. That's what he wants to play. He wants to, you know, live and die in press man. So I think he would make a lot of sense for them a little bit later. Uh, 
uh, geez, Frank Darby, receiver out of Arizona State. He's a guy, he's not the biggest guy, not the fastest guy, but, you know, I don't know if this is controversial to say, but I think he's probably one of the best route runners in this draft class when it comes to pure route runners. He's a technician. I highly suggest people check him out if they haven't yet. Um, gee, I, you know, any other names I think I'm going to give you probably don't qualify as sleepers anymore. You know, Keith Taylor, a corner out of Washington, I really like. Uh, Aleem McNeil, the, the uh, D-tackle out of NC State, is a guy that I like. You know, they drafted a D-tackle from there last year in Laurel Murchison. So they know the school well. They know the position there well. So there are a lot of guys. Cornell Powell, again, probably not a sleeper, of course, because he went to Clemson. But if you can get a hit, and I know Jonathan's probably, you know, laughing because it's another Clemson receiver. But if you can get if you can get a guy like him, I'm a, I'm a big fan of his on day three, too. Severe lack of Buckeyes there, uh, Justin. I'm going to need you to uh, really step your game up. Well, none of them are sleepers, right? What, what are we going to do? They're, they're too good, right? Yeah, they'll all be gone. I love right? Justin Fields. I love uh, <laughs> Pete Warner. You know what? I'll, I'll say this. I think Pete Warner is going to be a better pro than people are giving him credit for. I know I know that all the attention's on Baron Browning right now. And I, and I remember I told you this, Jonathan, a few months ago. And I have kind of changed my stance a little on it since then after having conversations with other people. But when I watch the tape and I watch both those guys, I thought Pete Warner was a better football player than Baron Browning was. I know it's crazy. A lot of people got Browning in their top 25 now. I think that's a bit early. I just published my big board. Uh, when does this episode come out? Is this, is this tomorrow. A Wednesday? It'll be Wednesday, tomorrow. Yeah. So tomorrow, Wednesday, my, my, my top 50 big board comes out uh, on Broadway Sports Media, and I got Baron Browning on there, but I don't have him in the 20s where I know uh, a lot of people have him. I, I think Pete Warner is a really good football player. So there's your Ohio State guys, Jonathan. So look for that on the big boards for, from from Justin on BroadwaySportsMedia.com. Uh, so good plug there uh, to end up everything. Thank you for your time. And we weren't kidding when we said you've gone through some players and you've got some guys that, that you've given some Titans fans a chance to go maybe look up and see and, and maybe get educated for the draft to see if their name gets called on drafting. We're going to have a lot more stuff coming out for Broadway for some mock drafts coming up. We've discussed that here recently. And we'll probably be reacting live to the draft as well so we can see uh, you know Zach cry when they uh, – uh, when they draft an offensive tackle in the first round and all kinds of fun stuff. I'm going to give Titans fans one more name if you got a second. Sure, yeah, go ahead. T- tight end Noah Gray. Look look into Noah Gray, really intriguing player. Trying to, we played, at, I think it's at Duke. Duke he plays for, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now because, yes, it is Duke. I remember watching him on tape, seeing him in blue. It is Duke. Noah Gray is a guy that really intrigues me. Um, and I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but Noah Gray has an agent – that represents some of the best tight ends in football. So I kind of get a different perspective on these things. When I, when I see an agent that's had such terrific success targeting a certain position, and a couple of them were day three guys, day three tight ends, sleepers. So for a guy like that, you know, you know what you're doing when, when, right. when, you, when you consistently had success with one position with day three sleepers. So Noah Gray's a guy that really intrigues me. Well, it, it, we'll give credit to you if, if, if the Titans come out, come away with Gray late in the draft uh, at, at tight end and we'll point back to that. And maybe there's something to pay attention to for drafts in the future or that agency for sure. I can definitely attest to having lots of success with one position, so I, I support it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear Lord. Everybody has their go-to, even in Canada, I imagine. But that's going to close it for the Coach's Corner tonight. Uh, part of Broadway Sports Network, partnered with 440 Sports. Remember, be sure and check out all of our other podcasts, articles, including Justin's Big Boards, and video breakdowns that Broadway Sports has to offer at broadwaysportsmedia.com and on Twitter at BroadwayTN. Check out this show at Coaches on Broad. Check out Justin Mello at Justin M underscore NFL myself as Ryan on Broadway and at JB on broad for Jonathan but until next time we out see ya yes <laughs>
I think you pause on purpose. <laughs> I, didn't, I couldn't get off mute. <laughs> <laughs>